This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So we are losing faith in our institutions, as Stephen Charleston noted in our words of integration and guidance. We're losing faith in the institution of government, reflected by the fact that people now think it's okay to attempt a coup to overthrow the government in broad daylight, even erect a gallows to hang the vice president. I've heard you can also direct said coup and still run for president. Just, it's a rumor. Also, that you can lie about your entire life and background and still get elected to Congress. It's astounding. Though I did hear that uh, George Santos is a great preacher, uh, <laughs> among his many other talents. Which makes sense, since he was formerly the Pope. So it, all, it all connects. But we can, you know, make fun of those things. But of course, we know that trust in the church as institution is also failing. In 2019, what percentage of Americans do you think said they have a great deal of confidence in the church or organized religion? How much? 20? 15? 10? Because they're pessimistic. It's actually not as low as you're guessing. It was 36%. 36% said they still have a great deal of confidence in the church and organized religion. And that was an all-time low. So the numbers are dropping. Now that same percentage said, 36%, that they have some confidence. And 29% said they have very little or none. I wonder who they're asking these questions of because I would have flipped the, you know, I would have expected those numbers to be a little different. But that was four years ago, probably, right? That trajectory is continuing to decline. 
And, you know, we can all think of a number of reasons why that might be so. We see stories like uh, a megachurch in Houston not opening their doors to victims of Hurricane Harvey a number of years ago. And we see things like that and think, man, you know, what's the annual budget of a church like that? Astronomical. Now, they did open their doors eventually after social media posts and, and pressure and, and so on. And they have opened their doors in subsequent bad weather situations, to their credit. But it's that initial reaction, right, that gets the coverage and the attention, and it reinforces the notion that churches are no longer to be trusted. Is such criticism fair? I think so, right? The church should be held to a higher standard, right? It should be. In our text, Jesus says, after noting that he's going to uphold and not tear down the foundation of their religion, that whoever the breaks, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever keeps them will be great. And he says that our righteousness or our practices that center on doing justice needs to surpass that of even the scribes and the Pharisees. He's calling them to do better even than their religious leaders. And on the one hand, that was a tall order, because Pharisees and teachers of the law were known to be fastidious about obeying every part of the Torah in their daily lives and in their practice. But too often, as Jesus would say elsewhere, they would end up swallowing a camel while trying to strain out a gnat, right? They'd be so focused on the minutiae that they would miss the point. Right? They would miss the forest for the trees and forget that the heart of the law ultimately is love and care for one's neighbor. And if in the process of being really religious, neighbors end up being neglected at best or hurt at worst, we might want to rethink what we're doing. And the text that was read in Isaiah reflects that similar sort of attitude that was happening earlier in the life of the people of Israel, where they became great at religious duties like fasting or worship services or offering sacrifices and were neglecting other things. And so in many ways, Jesus may be echoing the prophet of old. And I'm going to read a portion of what David read for us from Isaiah 58 as translated by the message, which I think really helps bring it, uh, bring it home. <clears throat> And this is uh, God speaking through the prophet. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face them with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain why do we fast and you look away? Why do we humble ourselves? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days, or we might insert worship services, is profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. You drive your workers much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. 
Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? No, this is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is share your food with the hungry. Invite the homeless poor into your homes. Put clothing on the shivering, ill-clad. Be available to your own families. Powerful stuff. And I saw a great quote this week, which I shared on social media, which kind of condenses this broader notion of the prophet. When Christianity is working, what we care about is our neighbor. When Christianity, when Christianity is not working, what we care about is Christianity. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like when the thing becomes about itself and forgets why it even exists in the first place. And I think that in a nutshell could summarize a lot of the complaints about the church and the lack of trust in church as organization and institution. And when I read a text like this, it's, it's frankly hard to write a sermon about it because it feels like what's not needed is another sermon. But people out there doing stuff. Wow. So here we are. <coughs> Hopefully sermons can be one small piece of lighting a fire under our tails to go do stuff. During uh, our sabbatical last summer, we had the opportunity while in Italy to beat, uh, to beat, to visit an off-the-beaten-path, word was in there somewhere, an off-the-beaten-path archaeological site. Now, sure, we had visited Rome and, and Assisi and, and Venice and some of the, you know, must-sees in Italy, and each incredible and worth seeing, and for that reason, they were always very busy and huge crowds. But somehow we discovered there was a little-known archaeological site not too far from our Airbnb. Now, being not too far does not mean necessarily that we got there quickly or easily. <laughs> we were, during our trip, driving a large nine-passenger van, because they were all out of minivans at <laughs> budget. So we had the biggest van they had. And that was navigated to Awkward through those small Italian streets, which are also filled with Italian drivers. <laughs> So we were following, you know, thank goodness for GPS and phones that still have service in other countries. Uh, so we're following that, and then we're following the signs that we could see, which were old and tiny, to this archaeological site, and we turned off, and we're going down this road, and we're starting to get the feeling that this might not be right. But we kept going, and eventually we hit this gate, and it was closed, and couldn't go any further, and we were... It was a narrow road, like there was no turning the van around. That was not going to happen. So I put it in reverse, back, backing up, you know, and it's just, there's shrubs on each side and backing up, backing up. Dad, you're getting a little too, okay, I'm tr you know, trying here. This is not easy. Made our way back, pull off onto a dirt side road. We thought, well, let's try this. And we're going on that for a while. Then the steep incline, had to gun it to get that thing up the incline and finally we crested the hill and there was a little parking lot and a small building. Whew. I think we're here. 
And we saw a sign that said Parco Archaeologico de Carcelet. We were in the right place. Archaeological Park of Carcelet. There were a lot of stories of driving the car that I'll <laughs> save for another time, but there was, uh, yeah. you know, just rethinking that, revisit some of the, <laughs> the stress. <laughs> we'll save the driving on the wrong side of the road in England for another time. <laughs> but just to remind myself, I looked up a little uh, snippet about this town we visited, Carcelet, uh, one of the most interesting archaeological sites in the region of Umbria, just to the south of Tuscany. This is a place where history becomes tangible and people from our day, the 21st century, can walk in the footsteps of Roman travelers, soldiers, and traders. Carcelet was a small but flourishing town along the Via Flaminia, a Roman route. It had baths, shops, a forum bristling with activity, temples, a basilica, a theater, and a large amphitheater, which was larger than the town would have been, so people think this probably drew people from the wider region for events that they held in the amphitheater. And it was so cool because we were basically the only ones there. I think there was maybe one other person and then a small team of archaeologists still doing excavating. But you could just roam all over the place, climb over stones, you know, go under arches, go into all these things, and just have at. And they had a cool little thing where on your phone, um, they had an app and you could listen in your language to a little historical piece about whatever you know, numbered site you were at. So without a tour guide, you can still feel like I'm getting a little sense of what this is about. So it's really um, kind of a neat experience. And it, this town was originally built on this main road, the Via Flaminia, which connected Rome to an important colony on the Adriatic Sea and apparently also ran through the Roman colony of Narnia, which I, you know, there were no Mr. Tunda Sayers, but I didn't know that was a place in Italy, but it was. But because of its location on this route, right, this town, which initially was just kind of a stopover, a place on the way to somewhere else where you could maybe get something to eat, maybe a lodging, began eventually to grow into a town of some substance and in the first century, to denote how important it was becoming, it was granted the status of a municipium by Rome, which meant that everyone who lived there was granted Roman citizenship. So that was interesting. And this happened likely under the reign of Augustus, so shortly before Jesus was born. And so we were walking around, checking things out, arches, the theater, old temples, shops. And one of the coolest ruins was an old church that you could walk in, this old stone church. So cool um, to walk into places like this. Uh, the uneven stone floors in the front, uh, there was still some barely visible frescoes that you could still see a little bit, and which must have been uh, impressive initially. And this was the Church of San Damiano, named after Saint Damian, a doctor who embraced Christianity and offered is a practice medicine and surgery without cost, without a fee. Um, and so that was kind of cool. It was named after this person who embodied his faith in that way. And it was right on the main thoroughfare, across from some shops and temples to Greek and Roman gods. And when you're in a place like that, you know, surrounded by stone and marble ruins, it's just fun to think about the history of that place and imagine what life might have been like so long ago. 
And neat to think of early Christians living in a town like this, trying to take to heart the teachings of Jesus. Like you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Salt, of course, was used for flavoring, but also used for preserving, right? It was long before refrigeration, and salting foods was needed to help preserve it. And if salt wasn't around, people would go hungry. In other words, you are here to help meet people's needs, whatever those are. And remember, this is coming right on the heels of the Beatitudes, right? Be the kind of people who honor and care for the poor, the hungry, the mournful, the sorrowful, the hurting. And then Jesus gives another powerful symbol and reminder. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, right? No, you let it light up the whole house. But you're here not just to light up the house. You are to light up the whole world. And when you do that, when you light up the world, it reflects on the God that you claim to believe in and worship. Let your light shine that others will come and honor God as well. And that little stone church like the one we found at Carsley was a reminder to me, a small reminder, that so many in the early church did just that, right? Took those teachings of Jesus to heart. Dionysius uh, wrote in an Easter letter around 260, so this is 200 some years after Jesus, that a substantial number of his church members lost their lives while caring for others. He writes, most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And about a hundred years after that, the pagan emperor Julian said in a letter that they, that is those of them, those of them, you know what I meant, those who weren't Christians needed to take a cue from the Christians. He said, we need to start acting like those impious Galileans or followers of Jesus who support not only their own poor, but ours as well. There are people we can learn from and how to take care of each other. And in that day, they said, as they looked around, who is that? Wow, it's these Jesus followers. I'm not sure we have that same reputation entirely today. <clears throat> And so the church began to grow and attract people simply because they were taking care of each other, especially those who were the most neglected in their communities. But we know as the church grew, eventually it became more organized, eventually became the state religion under Emperor Constantine, became institutionalized, and over the next thousand plus years, uh, incredible cathedrals were built. Across Europe, we were able to visit a number of these, and just stunning if you've ever walked in one of these old churches, just staggering almost to walk in and just beautiful, gorgeous, beyond my understanding of how they could even build those, and places that feel holy in a way. But we know that many of those churches across Europe really are more museums today than they are living bodies of faith. You might even say they're... Um, that's the word I wanted, monuments, right? Monuments to the church being about the church rather than about the neighbor, 
Brian McLaren reflects on this and asks, what went wrong in those cathedrals? And he says, what's going wrong in much of the stagnant religiosity of churches in my own country? My guess, he says, is that too, in too many places, the Christian religion continued and continues to sing and preach and teach about Jesus, but in too many places, it is largely forgotten, misunderstood, or become distracted from Jesus' main message. We may have talked about going to heaven after we die, but not about God's will being done now on earth while we're here. We may have pressured people to be moral and good or correct and orthodox to avoid hell after death, but we didn't inspire them with the possibility of become beautiful and helping heal the earth that we call home now. We may, he says, have tried to make people nice, quiet citizens of their earthly kingdoms and energetic consumers in their economies, but we didn't fire them up and inspire them to invest and sacrifice their time, intelligence, money, and energy in the revolutionary cause of the kingdom of God. The salt of the earth lost its flavor, and the light of the world was unplugged. What Jesus is calling us to do and be isn't complicated. It's not hard to understand, but it is hard to do, right? Because he's asking us to give of ourselves, our entire selves, on behalf of one another. Easy to talk about, hard to do. Another way to ask ourselves how we're doing on this is the classic question, if our church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone miss it? Well, let's dedicate ourselves to make sure that answer is yes. Amen. So. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.